Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Wow, welcome everyone. Good to have everyone here today. What a great time of celebration. Let's just thank the Lord for being together. Really. Yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Open your Bibles if you could. Or get on your phone, on the Bible app, however you do this thing. I've been in a series called Word, and we're just looking at the Bible in the first couple times together, the first two episodes of this. We, uh, we talked about the Bible and its depths and how it's reached out over generations. And, you know, as far as literature is concerned, it's an excellent book. I mean, there's scores of writers over 1,400 years that wrote uh, different perspectives, but all harmonizing together in this thing that we now carry around called the Bible, divided in two by Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is pretty much the story of creation to the covenant with Abraham, which brought forth the Jewish nation that became a preferred special nation before God. It was a nation where he could pour his covenant, his promise through. They didn't always do well with it, though. And so it's about their ups and downs and prophets coming in and prophesying over them. And then at the end of the Old Testament, you get 400 years of silence where there's no not a lot being written or talked about. And then Jesus appears on the scene in early first century. And Jesus comes as a fulfillment, not to deny the law of the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, to show you this is possible in Jesus Christ. Taught us about the kingdom, was, was killed, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God the Father, And then just uh, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came in power in Jerusalem in a place called the Upper Room and broke out on the people there. And from there, the church began. And here we are, 2,000 years later. And so when we go to Scripture, we go to Scripture knowing it's got great history. It's got great stories in it that have so filtered our, our culture that phrases and entire passages are fitted in popular music. I, I thought, actually, when I first started this series, I'm getting a little popping up here, but when I first started this series, uh, I thought of doing a, a cultural song to begin with each, and then I, I thought, oh, I just don't have time for that. But, but it's really amazing when you start studying how, much, how many songs have scriptural-type references, references, metaphors, connections in different ways. In America, whether you agree that we're a a nation of Judeo-Christian values, and today you might question that, but I will say one thing. When you study it out, and and I am, I'm reading the Constitution of the United States right now every day. I'm reading it like the Bible. I'm going through it. I'm going through uh, uh, the uh, City of God, which is Augustine in 413 wrote a book because of the fall of Rome. I've studied the fall of Rome over and over again because I'm so concerned for the United States of America. What are the things that, that cause nations to fall? We're doing them all right now. 
And so it may take a while because this nation is a fast-moving train. And it takes a while to slow it down. But the slowing down should be a sign to believers to go back to what we do well. And there's a lot of things we don't do well. I mean, we, we may not, I, people, they say all the time, you go to church and the people are just so messed up. I mean, I mean they've, been, they've, been, they've been in drugs and they've, you know, they've, they've had problems with relationships. And, you know, and I'm like, well, bingo, that's who you want. I mean, that's, Jesus said he didn't come for the well. Did you know he said that? He came for the sick. We were sick. But I love the idea that in this group, there's people that were probably LBGTQ. There's people in this group that may have had racist hearts and thoughts. There's people in this group who have been addicts. There's people in this group who have been to prison for things they did not for things they didn't do. They were in prison. There's people who have had been through multiple marriages, who have been separated, bankrupt, lost. I mean, the, the dregs of culture and society that when touched by Jesus Christ, everything starts lifting from that point. So yeah. yeah we're kind of a rough group of people. And you don't know who you're sitting by. Now you're concerned. Say, yeah, who am I sitting by? <laughs> but we're all in process by the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me and continues to live in me. And the reason I bring that up and the reason I quote scriptures, because it's what I want to talk about right now, the power of this book to change your life. I love the prophetic. I love dreams. I love visions. I love all the little nuances of how God speaks to us. I've written two books on it. That's how much I like it. I mean, I love that. But what I really love and what brings me the greatest comfort of anything that happens is when I read the scripture, the word of God, there is life in these scriptures. Now, if you just read it like as a book, it's a book. But when you're reading, knowing that it is the word of God, it is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It literally is a book that will protect you and be a defender, but it's also one that will come in and do surgery <laughs> into the heart. It separates good and evil. It lets, helps you discern righteousness. You are called righteous in Christ, but that righteousness actually is a force that will carry you through your life and help you make the decisions every day. Because right now in this room, right now in this room, there's people who are hopeless. There is. Some may have got baptized up here. And when they come out of that water, it's another supernatural component. In fact, I was feeling earlier, and I'm going to just mention this to you later on, when we're finished, I felt, I was sitting there, I was looking up here, and I thought... I thought, you know what? We need to utilize this pool of water up here. What came to my mind was the, was the pool of Bethesda. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're sick and you've had some kind of a sickness that has been hanging on to you, an ailment, something, I encourage you, what I saw in my mind, because the, you see how the waters are reflecting up here? Uh, when the people first got out, it was a little more aggressive, the, the reflection. 
And I thought the Holy Spirit is troubling the waters today, which is right out of scripture. When I thought that, I said, well, that's just a thought. I get thoughts too. But when I had the thought, when I had the thought, immediately I felt the presence of God go over my entire being. I mean, it was like, you know how chills sometimes are a manifestation? People go, what? Yeah, it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in His presence. I mean, I get chills when it's too cold. Of course, I get that. But, but the chills came when I wasn't in that kind of a moment. It was when I was in relationship and communication with God. Boom, it comes on you. You will experience this in your lifetime. And so it confirmed what was in my mind, what was in my heart. At the end of this meeting, I want you to feel free to come up. And what I saw was you sticking your hands in the water and just troubling the waters troubling the waters and saying, Lord Jesus, heal me. If you just do that simple, that simple act of faith like Naaman, who was full of leprosy, and he was told by the prophet to go dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. And he didn't want to do it because he said, I mean, I've seen the river Jordan. It's not anything really exciting. He was from a place where they had great mighty rivers. You know, He said, I'll go back home and do it. No, it's not about going home and putting your hands in the tub and doing it. Right now, the waters are being troubled. And so he went in obedience, humbled himself, dipped into the river, leprosy left, which is impossible, which is impossible for that to happen. Leprosy left because he obeyed the word of God. So as we look at scripture, let's go, we're gonna go to Nehemiah. I'm gonna give you a minute to find it. If you've got your, your tactical Bible here, the one that's leather, you know, like, or fake leather or something, and and open it up right kind of in the middle and then turn left a little bit. And uh, you're gonna be in Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah is an amazing book. And uh, I wanna show you how we, in a minute, we're gonna do a little activation and demonstration on the power of the Word of God. But the Bible has so infiltrated American culture that it pops up all over the place. And there is at times a certain reverence for prayer and the Word of God in America still in our ceremonies. The fact that when a president is put into office, he puts his hand on the Bible and swears by it. What does that mean? It's a book. Why doesn't he just take Shakespeare and say, I, I swear by Shakespeare? Why is it the Bible? Because still in this culture, there's the thought that there may be a God and I better have reverence toward him. And so they do that on our coins. This isn't God we trust. Really? I mean, the reason I'm saying this is such an argument out there that we are not a Judeo-Christian nation. And I don't know that I believe in Christian nations. I believe in nations, which is an earthly construct, that are being highly influenced by believers that are inside of it to move a nation down a road that is a road that leads them to the presence of God, the knowledge of God, and the understanding of God. Without overtly doing that, we want to be a nation that is good and righteous. We want to be a nation, according to Augustine, every, the goal of every nation, every empire should be peace. How many of you want peace? Anybody here? <laughs> Turn off your television. That's the first step. Don't watch CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Don't watch any of them. Watch it in. You'll go away suicidal. 
But when you get into the Word of God, the Bible, the Word of God, it begins to shape your mind, shape your heart. I remember how much Scripture has met in my own life, you know, when I had cancer, uh, first and second time, and when it hit me, it was devastating, and you 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 think all the worst things are going to happen. Immediately, the Lord gave me a verse. Every time I face something really challenging, a verse comes to me, because I've studied the Word of God. And it comes out, it's like the Holy Spirit says, try this. And so when I first got cancer, I used one, I said, I'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I mean, so much so that, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I'm sorry for repeating it, but it just have to. You know, when I was in the hospital going through so many different things and, and thought, uh, I, I mean, you just have all kinds of crazy thoughts. You know, you're going to die, this is over, I'm done, you know, and I'm kind of recovering from the stem cell transplant I went through, and, and mm-hmm. a, uh, a man comes into my uh, room, uh, because he was a specialist in taking blood, and they were having a hard time finding blood in my veins because they were so collapsed and knotty and beaten up and everything else, you know. And so they bring this guy in, African-American guy, came in. He was full of joy. He just came in. He said, hey, he's all excited. And, he's, and now he gets the needle in, you know, and he starts talking to me, and he, he found out I was a pastor. He got really excited about it, you know. And, and I, he, he, admitted, he preached to me for about 15 minutes about the Word of God. He went over, closed the door. (laughs) He's at the Cleveland Clinic, and he preached. I mean, he preached. He brought life back into me. He really did. He preached, and and, and the thing is, I had been repeating every day, I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Finally, he said, I gotta go, man, but I'm gonna be praying for you. He goes up to the door. He opens the door, and he says, one more thing. You will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I mean, I felt it come up through my body. Woo! I'm the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. Morphine is no comparison. (laughs) Trust me, I know all the drugs. They don't compare instantaneously. Boom, the power, the surge of heaven came upon me and hope came into my heart. And that's why we read the Word of God because we need hope in a hopeless generation. We read the Word of God because we need joy. Love, peace, joy, love, peace. This is my new mantra. I was talking to Josh Taylor about it a couple weeks. He consults with us on some things about the church. And I just said, man, it's just, it's over and over. It's, I mean, it's the first three fruits of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, love, peace, joy. And I just repeat it over and over again. When I get in a situation right now, I use that as my mantra. Love, peace, joy, love, peace, joy, love, peace. I don't know if it's an instruction to mon- demonic attacks or if it's an instruction to my own soul. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's scripture, by the way. David encouraged when they were ready to stone him. (laughs) He went aside and said, come on, David, rise up. Where do you think all these psalms came from? It's David and his angst of life and the things that he went to crying out to God. Come on, my soul. We sing that. Does does we do that today? Come on, my soul. What, What does it say? Yeah, that right there. It's going to come on. Where do you, what's going to, is it, is it Dale Carnegie, Tony Robinson, 
quote going to help you? It'll get you a little bit like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get out of bed. It is 10 a.m. and I probably need to have some breakfast. I definitely need some coffee. You know, and you read a Tony Robbins quote and you're like, yeah, that's, that's right, you know. Or you get a meme. I believe God used memes. But let me tell you, the best meme you're ever going to get is in here. If you're reading the Word of God, and I do it every day, I go through the Bible every year, not for some little star in heaven, I do it for survival purposes. And as I read it, I find out that actually God aligns the Word with my life. It's a little scary. I actually can look ahead and see what my future is. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be an interesting day. August 5th, I have to check, you know, you want to peek into the future and see what happens. So the Lord leads me through Psalms and Proverbs and Old Testament, New Testament. I'm telling you, every day there's something that sticks in my soul. I am post-it noting my soul. Put it up there. Yeah, remember that. And then in times of difficulty, the Holy Spirit brings those notes up to your remembrance and you're like, whoa. This is the word of the Lord. My father, he didn't get, become a Christian until he was 47, 46, 47 years old. And he was a union leader here in the city. He was a powerful guy, friends of the governor. You know, governor used to call our house all the time, Governor Rhodes. I mean, it was a powerful time. He was at the pinnacle of his career, making a lot of money and really just kind of started in a factory, the Chevy plant over in Parma. Worked his way up, and uh, he was he he became a force, and he was very confident. He was male wit. He was very strong and confident. But what happened one night? Accidentally, accidentally, through a series of events, he was led to a church in Akron because a woman was dying of ac- uh, cancer. And in that moment, this pastor down there looked at him and said, "Are you a sinner?" And he. He didn't want to lie to a pastor. He said, well, I was when I came in. <laughs> and he reached out his hand toward him and he fell on the ground. And when he got up, he was male wit chapter two. It was a new day. It was a reinvention. From that moment, the first day he led someone to the Lord, almost every day of his life, he led someone to the Lord. He, he would lead over 100 people to the Lord every year. He would witness everywhere he went. The Word of God, he feasted on the Word of God, and he was trying to, he felt so bad that he was 46 years old and had kind of wasted his whole life on all this other stuff. He'd share it with me. He'd get very emotional. He said, Steve, I wasted my life. I said, no, you didn't. You're building a testimony. And I said, your testimony now is going to be so damaging to hell over the rest of your life. And he lived, he lived 30 more years and, and he went with me all over the world. We went to Russia together. We went all over the place. I mean, just, we've got so many fun stories of father and son where the roles reversed and he was working for me and helping me out, you know. And, but he, he got so hungry for the word of God that he volunteered. He was a year old in the Lord. He volunteered to teach Sunday school for the adult class. And you know, that, that usually is taught by somebody in this particular church that had some Bible experience. And he said, this is the best way for me to learn the word is to be forced to go deep. And he did. And one of his verses was, he'd say it all the time. I could hear it. I could hear his voice. What I think of this verse? Jesus said it. He said, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed 
and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And every dream I had, everything I would say, he'd say, well, you know what I say? I agree with Jesus that whatever you say without, without doubt will be done. And so it rings in my head every time I face a challenge where I think, I don't know if this is gonna happen. I can hear my dad's voice saying what Jesus said, that whatever you say, what you say is important, especially when you're speaking the word of God. And so we go to Nehemiah, and in Nehemiah, we, we find out that there's a generation of people that have been separated, Nehemiah 8. They've been separated from the Torah, which is basically the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, more expansive way, it's the Old Testament. The Old Testament had not been ready to them for over 70 years. They had been captivity and bondage, slavery in Babylon. And through the prophetic words and through new leaders, they were getting released. Remnants were being released to come back. They're coming out of bondage. Some of them born in bondage. You know, when you're born in bondage, you do not understand freedom. And when you finally get freedom, it is amazing. Ordinary people that live in freedom don't understand. You know, in America, we have incredible freedom when you look at the rest of the world. Is there a need for more? Of course there is. You know, America's not perfect, but it's, it's a pretty good place. And so there's freedom, there's, there's the allowance to, for mobility. We can get out of here and drive anywhere we want. I remember the days in Europe where every country you went through, you had to go through, check, you know, a, a post where you showed them your passport and everything else, and your money then shifted from whatever it was then, whatever country you're in, to the next, I mean, it was, and now in the Euro Union, you can go anywhere. There's just a greater freedom. There's a greater openness that is there. And so they're coming out, and there's two men that are significant. And I'm going to go through this really quick, but there's two men that are significant. The first one is Ezra, who had been there for 13 years. He was a priest and a scribe, which meant he's the, people that, he's the person people would go to if they had some great spiritual need. There's a godly man, likely older than Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one who was in captivity, but had ascended to a high position where he was the um, right-hand cupbearer of the king himself. Cupbearers typically did not have long lifespans. Because if someone's trying to poison the king, you die first. And then they put an ad on LinkedIn or something and... Uh, we need a cup bearer. You imagine, like, I, I, I'm not available. No, sorry, I'm not qualified to do that. But Nehemiah is there and apparently had built a bit of a relationship with the king. And so he's enjoying his life as best he can. I mean, he had, he had limitations, but he, he had some liberty because of the role that he had. And he got to eat a whole lot of really good food as a result of it, you know. High role, high position, a respected position, a slave that had rose to that role. And then one day they came and told him, some friends from Jerusalem said, oh, he said, how is it back home in Jerusalem? I mean, it'd be like here in Cleveland if you left for 30, 40 years and, you know, your big question would be, did the Browns win? No. No, in fact, they sold the team. Let's say to, you know, Baltimore. Yeah. What? What are we going to do? Do you remember that period of time? 
where there was no sense of the presence of God, <laughs> when we did not have a team. I'm joking, of course. <laughs> That's the way it felt, though. He was in despair about it. He was in despair. And he wept for a long time. And he realized, I gotta find something to do. So he talks to the king, which, which asking for a favor could be the end of his life, but he did it anyway. He asked for the king, king gave him favor, gave him rights, gave him granting to position to go back, check out the house, check out the city, and rebuild the walls that had been torn down. And so what he didn't know is that Ezra's already there. Ezra's the priest trying to hold up the spirit of the Lord in a city that was broken. People had moved back there, but there was nothing they could do. They, broken down walls means they're open to their enemies. There's no security. They're being, it, it's a torturous situation. They come back and they kind of team up together. There's a big debate on this, but anyway, they kind of team up together. Nehemiah gets in there and the walls had not been rebuilt in over 100 years. So they were broken down. People would come in and tried. Prophets had come and prophesied it. Nobody had results. He did it. And when he did it, he did it in, what was it? 25 days, I think. He rebuilt the walls. What did he do? He quotes the word of God. And it says, all of a sudden, these people that were not highly motivated, these are not great volunteers. They're not willing. They don't, they're just like, they're living in dread. They're living in hopelessness. It's like, the walls will never be rebuilt. What are we gonna do? And they, and they had people that were constantly saying to them, you'll never be able to build those walls. If a fox ran over that wall, it would collapse. Don't you love it when you have people that are encouraged around you like that? <laughs> have you ever done something and everyone around you like, nah, no, it's not gonna work. You don't have any experience in that. You're not qualified for that. How are you gonna do that? What, you think you're like somebody big now that you could just get up and do that? Just do your job. Quit this dreaming stuff. Have you, any of you ever encountered that? Like every time I planted a church, I've encountered that. It's horrible. It's like, it's like someone was hired to come against you. And actually, these guys, Tobiah and Sanballat, were hired to destroy it. In fact, at the end of it, they got so upset that he kept doing it, even though they discouraged him, that they hired assassins to take him out. I don't know if that's happened to you yet or not. But when you follow the word and principles of God, people don't like it. Oh, you missed your goody two-shoes now. You're, you're like all good and we can't even hang out with you anymore. I mean, all this stuff begins to pop up. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to get better by the grace of God. And so in Nehemiah 8, Nehemiah shows up and here's what happens. This actually in Nehemiah, this is actually Ezra that begins to move. They're, they're flowing together. Interesting, Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls. Ezra is about to build the walls of the heart. How many of you know really those are the most important? You can build walls, you can get a big house, you can have a really good job and be broken inside. And thank God, we thank God for the blessings of a great nation, but inside it can be really broken. And so someone's got to come along and align it, bring it into alignment. What is America supposed to be aligned with? Really, the principles of God, the Ten Commandments, a righteous leaning. We're not a Christian nation. We're a nation with a whole lot of Christians. And they're going to emerge very powerfully. 
once they understand who they are in Christ Jesus through his word. So Ezra, the great prophet, scribe, priest, stands up, and he's dealing with these people. So the walls are built, but now how do you get them aroused in their spirit to want to do what God's called them to do? And so with this, just stand up just for a minute. I want to exercise this. Just stand up. I know you've been sitting for a while. Got a little bit longer to go. Just stand here as we read the word, because that's what they did. All the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which they have not read. Many of them have never heard one in their lives, never seen one. So the, the Bible of their time was being brought forth before them. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Imagine that, read all morning. We're not gonna do that, but before the men and women and those who understood and the ears of all who were attentive to the book of law. So Ezra the scribe stood on the platform of wood, here we are, which they had made for that purpose. And at his right hand stood a whole bunch of guys there and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people. He was standing above the people. He opened it. All the people stood up. Here we are. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. So we do that right now. We just bless you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for America. We thank you, Lord, for our lives and our family. We thank you, Lord, for health and strength. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to work, to labor, to make money, Lord. We thank you for the manifold blessings of God. And all the people answered, amen. yeah, exactly. You must have read this before. Amen, amen, that's what they said. While lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And this whole group of people that they mentioned by name helped the people to understand the law. The people stood in their place and they read distinctly from the book of the law and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy. Listen closely to this. They've been reading the, the word of God for hours and people begin to weep. They're overwhelmed. Some are weeping because they feel conviction into their hearts of their godlessness. Others are weeping because the richness they are feeling from the word of God, like a fresh drink of water when they haven't drank water in days. It's like, yes, something, this is so beautiful. It is so ministering to my heart. It says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So he tells them all, look, stop weeping. What's he saying? This is not the time. This is not the place. This is not the moment to be weeping. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way. <laughs> Listen to this, this is lovely for our moment here this morning. Go your way, eat the fat. <laughs> Keto people are gonna love this. <laughs> eat the fat, you won't like the second part. Drink the sweet and send portions to those who have nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. And then a famous Bible verse pops up here that we probably use it for a thousand different situations. It said, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
<laughs> the word of God, times will bring you weeping. But I want you to know, there's strength, there's hope. Listen to what it says in, the, uh, in James 1. Actually, you can be seated just for three, more, three or four more minutes. Four, according to the clock. The implanted word of God will affect you. It affected that entire group. They were weeping, said no. The purpose of this is to restore joy because in joy, there's strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you understand the ultimate desire is strength? Where's Vern at? Vern, right here in the middle. Yeah, that's your strength, Vern. That's your strength is the word of God. And when you implant it deeply in your heart, it will continue to rise up. It will continue to come forth in various things. But it will give you the strength in your weakest. We were just talking about weakness. He's in uh, cancer treatment, and uh, God's going to touch him in a powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this, Vern. James 1. James 1 verse 21 says this, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Jesus was guided by the word of God, Isaiah 61. He got up in a church kind of like this, opened up scripture, began reading from the daily reading, which is Isaiah 61. And realized as he was reading, this is about me. Anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Binding up brokenhearted. Setting captives free. He came out of there saying, it's fulfilled in your ears right now. And you know what it says further on down? It talks about the planting of the Lord in Isaiah. God wants to plant you. The best way you're going to get planted Someone who's a new Christian, maybe just baptized. How do I make sure that I don't veer off from this? Right here. The Word of God, the implanted Word of God gives you structure, gives you depths. And it even says over and over again, I mean, read through Psalm 119. Read through Psalm 1 where it talks about the tree planted by rivers of water. Read where Jesus talked about building your house upon a rock Rock is the word of God. It's not only the word of God, but it's, it's you hearing. It's what you hear and what you do. That the word of God is meant to be made incarnate, fleshed out in your very body. That as you walk, people will recognize something's different about you. I see Jesus in you. That's the power of the word of God. It's God's word. We plant it in him. We pay attention to his words. Proverbs 4. We incline our ear to his sayings. We keep them in the midst of our heart for they are life to those who find them. This is what it's talking about, the word. It's life to me and it's, and Vern, it's, it's health to all our flesh. Keep your heart, this is heart care, with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. You know, I was studying about... Um, the other day, it's one of the things I've studied for a long time, and I, I uh, called my friend this morning uh, who pastors over in uh, one of those little towns on the east side. I can't think what it's, which one it is. 
the name of his church is uh, Zion, uh, Larry Macon. And uh, Larry Macon and I went to uh, this African-American man. His church is generally African-American, big church, huge. We've used it. He's let us use it sometimes. When uh, Sean Bolts was here, we went over there. And he's a friend. We went to seminary together, and we've connected, reconnected over the years. And you know, we don't agree on everything. We have some great debates. We videoed some of them, actually. And uh, he even recently said, you know what? You, would you be open to being in a debate? You know, and I said, yeah, well, you know, let's give it a little time, and I'll be able to come over. You know? but he's a very smart man. And uh, I asked him about this. I try to be sensitive. I, I don't really care about being PC, politically correct, but I do want to be sensitive. And so I called him because... He, what I study are Negro spirituals. And I just said, Larry, is it okay? I mean, does that, how does that come out? To, is this a guy who's got his PhD is in uh, Martin Luther King Jr. studies. I mean, he's, he's really got this thing down. And he said, oh, he, he texted back and he said, excellent. He said, and you can tell him that Larry Macon said it was okay. So I'm telling you right now, Larry said it was okay. Negro spirituals were songs of scriptural concepts and sometimes literal scripture. They called them code songs or signal songs because in the slavery times of the deep south, they would create songs that actually some of them mapped out the way of escape and the owner, slave owners never even knew what was going on. And they had all this code about different places. I love the fact that Ohio was a key part the key part, it's really the king of the Underground Railroad. And the Underground Railroad came right through Brunswick, Ohio. If you go over on Laurel Road, I was over there the other day praying right in front of the sign where slaves came and checked in at a house. And it has a little plaque there that tells you about it and everything. They were on their way, some were on their way from various southern parts, came here. Typically, they'd go to Oberlin. Next stop on the railroad, the Underground Railroad, which was actually them just being carefully walked to another place through rivers, through fields, whatever, they would go up to the Pomeroy House. Pomeroy House, I've been there in the basement. They showed me the place where African-Americans from the South would come in on their way because they wanted to get to hope. If we can get to hope, we can get to the promised land. Cleveland's code name was hope. If we can get to Cleveland, we can get a ferry that would get us over to Canada. Canaan, Canada, the new land. We're across the River Jordan, the Ohio River. They could come here. They were somewhat safe, but there were still slave owners coming after them from the south, and they were allowed by law to still come into this state. So they wrote songs. They sang songs like we would know, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Swing Low, Low is the South. It's calling forth for the north to come down, rescue us out of this place. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. I remember singing it as a child, you know. Coming forward to carry me home. Home was north. A guy named Wallace Willis wrote uh, several of the songs that were sung. It's funny, the Nazis put it on their undesirable song list. <laughs> They'd sing them in worship times as slaves would come together in the south, whether they're in an arbor somewhere or out in a facility they were using, they would sing songs like Wade in the Water. Wade in the Water. You hear that song? Yeah, that's all about the dogs chasing the slaves. But they all had spiritual touches so that the 
owners would not get suspicious. The singing about the pool, Bethesda, the singing about Elijah's chariot taking away, the singing about biblical concepts, and yet they're providing encouragement from the word of God through their songs. It's amazing how God can move through a people that are imprisoned Christians. By the way, when the slaves came over, they were not Christians. They took on Christianity in the United States and became some of the most devout Christians in the United States. They had a song called Steal Away. They had a song called Follow the Drinking Gourd. You know what that was? They all had a drinking gourd that they drank out of. Drinking gourd was the dipper, the big dipper. And it pointed toward the North Star, which led them north. Follow the drinking gourd. Descriptions of rivers in drinking gourd. Description of rivers, hills, signs, including a mark with a left foot and a round hole next to it. Peg leg Joe. There was a rumor that there was a captain of a ship that helped slaves across the river. And so their hope was to find and meet and thank Peg leg Joe. So on trees and stones coming up out of Mississippi, Louisiana, they would see a foot and they'd see a circle. It's Peg leg Joe. They follow the foot and the circle in order to get to the land of promise, Canada, which they go through the city of hope, Cleveland. Let's all stand together if we could. Martin Luther King Jr., in his speech, I Have a Dream, quotes raw scripture. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. Rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. Where's that? Scripture, right out of scripture. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. I love the fact how scripture's just been sown through our history. If you'll sow it through your history, sow it into your own soul, sow it into your children, your grandchildren, you're gonna see a history that continues on for decades to come, generations to come, a people that depend upon the Word of God. Why? It brings us hope. When I hear it, it gives me joy. I love when those who turn return from captivity. They had laughter in their mouths, joy in their hearts, singing songs together, songs of release from captivity. I wanna pray for you right now. If you're here today, you do not know Jesus Christ. We're gonna pray for you. In just a minute, we're going to be released. We're going to do what Rachel told us to do. We're going to go out and go to the left. We're going to get some food. We're going to hang out. I encourage you, this is a mark of a New Testament church to eat together. Our first year, we did it every month as a church, our first year. It's what's, what welded us together, glued us together. It's good food, but better than that, you're going to have good company. You're going to meet some people, connect. God's going to use it supernaturally in your life to strengthen you, to encourage you. You're going to hear the Word of God. In fact, when we dismiss in just a minute, some of you will go out and start eating. Some of you who need, have needs in any way, come up, feel free to meet with our ministry team here in the front. They'll be glad to pray for you for healing, financial blessing, whatever it might be. And those of you that are suffering with any sickness, feel free to come up and put your hands in the water. Stir the water. Let's believe for God to heal you. But first, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, 
Maybe you've never asked him in your heart, or maybe you did, like one lady shared. When she was a certain age, she got baptized, but she drifted away. She said, I was a prodigal for 10 years. And Jesus came after me. I love the fact he goes after prodigals. He loves them back into the kingdom of God. God is pursuing you. God is after you. God loves you. Not for judgment, but for joy, for blessing, and for favor of God. If you're here today and you say, I I can honestly say I'm not walking with Jesus, but I want to know him right now. We're going to take just about two minutes here right now, and then we're going to eat. Over here on this side, I'm looking at right now, that's you. And you say, you're either away from God or you've never asked Jesus to come be in part of your life. You've never even maybe even heard the Word of God except periodically hearing the Scripture. You are separated from God. The good news is Jesus came to unite you back to a relationship with God. If you're here and you've never done that or you've drifted away, all you have to do is raise your hand. We want to pray for you right now. Over on this side over here, anyone here, just raise your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. I want to return to a relationship with the Lord. I don't want to miss anyone here. Just about 10 seconds here as we're waiting. Okay. How about here in the center section? Surely there's people here that do not know Jesus. I want you to know right now, He loves you with an everlasting love. It's over this center section right now. If you say, I've never, I've never asked for Jesus to come to my life or I've been away from Him. If that's you right now, and you, you think, I don't know, what, what should I do? I love what Ryan said earlier. You can kind of feel it in your heart. This, this kind of butterfly feeling, the rapid pace of like, oh, I feel that's the presence of God. It's God coming into your life, inviting you into His kingdom right now. Here in the center, you've never done that or you've been away from Christ, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now across this room. Anyone here? Hard to see in the center. I got to look. All the way from the right and left. Anyone? Yes, back there. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I don't want to miss anyone in this section. Is there one? Am I missing anyone? Good. Bless you. Bless you. We'll talk with you in just a moment. Over here on the left, you know the routine. You've heard it. If you're away from Christ or you've never asked Jesus into your heart, where are you right now? You say, I need Jesus. Just raise your hand over here in this section. I'll be glad to pray for you. Anyone? Anyone in this section? Don't want to miss it. Just raise your hand up. And we all know at the very back, is there someone? Okay, good. Yeah, there's two people there. Okay, good. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Here's what you do. We're just going to say a prayer together corporately. And after we're done, those of you who raised your hand, feel free to come to the front. We actually have a book we want to give you. We want to pray for you. Just come in front of one of these folks you feel comfortable with. We've got people with all kinds of backgrounds and ages. And they'd be glad to minister to you after we finish. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you think, you know, I should have raised my hand. Feel free to come forward during that time. But let's all repeat this prayer together, not as a rhythm prayer, not as just a creed, but this is a prayer, honestly, in faith, out of our heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I come before you now. Would you forgive me of my sins? I believe you died on the cross for me, and I receive it right now. Cleanse me of my sins. Restore me with your spirit. May I walk in the strength of the Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. According to the word of God, you said that in faith. We believe you're a believer. Yeah, woo! All heaven rejoices. 
Again, we have open altars here. Feel free to come up. Anyone who needs prayer at all, don't forget the pool. But out there, we've got a lot of fun and games and we've got some food. Please stay with us. We need all of you here. We'll be eating this food all week, all right? God bless. Have a great time. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.